Good morning. We're going to be reading out of First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, and that can be found on page 1202 in the Pew Bible, so I'll give you a minute if you want to find that and read along. All right, it's uh, called to be holy. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with, precious, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown, before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him up from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Lord, we just pray for uh, our, our pastor. We pray that you would just put words into his mouth to speak and put uh, ears and within us to hear and help us to uh, learn and apply. We just thank you for your word and uh, that you've given it to uh, sinners such as ourselves. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Dave. It's good to see so many of you back from vacation last week. Also gives me... Great confidence, Tyler. Thank you for telling them to be Bereans as I open up God's Word this morning. Well, good morning. Uh, if you're not aware, the Olympics have been going on for about a week or so. Uh, we haven't watched much as a family, but you know what it's like when you see an athlete compete against the best of the best in the Olympics, where the swimmer finishes the race and they look up at the time and they smash the water excited that they won. Or the gymnast comes off of the vault and raises up their arms that they did it with a huge smile. Or the hurdler goes through the finish line with their arms out and then they look up towards heaven. Or the team, they win the game or they win the match and they all jump upon each other uh, in joy. And these athletes, they have trained for their whole life for this one event that happens within this two weeks. And they've done what they've worked for. They've accomplished their goal. And now they get a piece of metal that slings on their neck, probably goes into a desk drawer and as I have a friend who did win one of those gold medals from a while ago, doesn't even know where it is. As we've seen in our study of Genesis, we have seen some great victories by the people of God, but we have also seen some significant defeats. Uh, and regardless of victory or defeat, God is in control. 
with the fast swimming, the fast running, the accurate shooting, the precise vaulting, all of these things are under the sovereign hand and the authority of God. We've seen a number of chapters in the book of Genesis where God does not say a word. Today is another one. Today we won't see Joseph exclaim, I'm good at my job because my brother sold me into slavery. He won't say that, and we won't see that Joseph suffered because he was trained really well as a child of how to run a family business. Today we'll see God's hand moving and providing for this promised covenantal family, the family that God has chosen, the family that God has decided to bless, the family that God will use to bless others and to show us how God wants us to live in the world in which we live. And so will you pray with me. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we are not, make us. What we have not, give us. And we pray this in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. And so this morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 39. If you want to turn there in your text, as someone was gracious to remind me, we are not in Genesis 29, which I sent in the email. We are in Genesis 39. We'll pick back up in Egypt and the life of Joseph. It'll be very contrary to what we saw last week with the life of Judah. We'll look at verse 1 to start. The text says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he was made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. So, church, in this first section, we see God's provision of prosperity to Joseph in the midst of Joseph's devotion to God. As one commentator said, this paragraph is not about Joseph's success, but also about the reason for that success. As the text says over and over, because the Lord was with Joseph. Moses isn't showing us that it's an MBA from Dartmouth or a healthy and good family farm that brings success or even luck that made Joseph succeed in Potiphar's home. It was because the Lord was with Joseph. As you recall, Joseph was coerced into Egypt. He didn't have a choice. He didn't have a choice of the home that he would find himself in. But he found himself in this home, a home of a specific man without appeal. And he found himself working with the skills that he had working for this man, Potiphar. Many of you are probably like that. Some of you don't like your jobs. 
Some of you do love your jobs. Some of you have bosses that are great friends, and some of you have bosses that you cannot wait to get out of the office so you don't see him for a couple days. Some of you feel trapped in your routines, and while some of you feel liberty to make whatever choices and changes you want. May Paul's words to the Colossian church encourage you. It should be on the screen. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Whatever you do in the original language means whatever you do. means everything. We work in the name of Jesus, which means that we work like Jesus. We work while giving thanks to God, but the question you might be thinking is, what if I don't want to? Well, we are to work hard and to give thanks, as the text says. And this is what Joseph was doing. And I'm sure Joseph didn't want to be sold into slavery. He didn't want to be sold to Potiphar. He didn't want to work as a slave. As later we'll see in our text this morning, he probably didn't want to go to prison. But he did it. And God was with him. Joseph didn't choose where he would be working. He was a slave. And his work allowed him to advance. Maybe you want to be the boss now. You can work hard and maybe that'll happen. Maybe you want to get a raise. You can work hard and maybe that will happen as well. You can do good work. That might happen for you. But unless the Lord is with you, and wants that for you, it's not going to happen. And I'm sorry if that bursts a bubble that you have. Remember our time in James this past summer. We were uh, spending some time in the, the book of James, a letter. Uh, James chapter 4 says this. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So trading or making a profit, traveling, milking cows, filling spreadsheets, preaching sermons, all of these are dependent on the will of the Lord. And if God wants it to succeed, it will succeed. If He doesn't, it won't. We work to the Lord, and the Lord will produce fruit. Or He will decide not to produce fruit for us, through us. In my office, after we moved here, Kristen brought, bought me a photo, a picture. Uh, it has this Bible verse in it from Proverbs 16.9. The heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. For me, for you, for Joseph, our success is dependent on God. For good, but also for poor. That's our prayer here in this church as we move to becoming a local church on our own, a local congregation where we give ourselves to the things that God reveals in His Word and God will decide whether He wants to produce fruit through our efforts. If we don't do the things that are in God's Word, likely there won't be much fruit. But if we do, 
That's the means by which that God generally produces fruit, through faithfulness. But God generally doesn't produce fruit through a lack of faithfulness. And so back to the story, Potiphar trusted Joseph in everything. Potiphar, he was an important guy. He's given a lot of titles, you'll see in the text. And he had influence. And Joseph proved himself trustworthy. Trustworthy people are allowed to do certain things. For example, we wouldn't let anybody just watch our kids. You have to be proven trustworthy. If you have a power of attorney, you're not going to just let anybody have that authority to make the decisions for you. We allow people like Joseph who are trustworthy. He proved himself over and over again, and therefore Potiphar was given him more and more authority over the things in his care. But again, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord provided prosperity. Joseph was the servant, and his identity was not in what Joseph did, but rather in who God is. In light of this, God used Joseph's work to bless others. Like Jacob was a blessing and prosperity for Laban, we see again this elect line of this promised family blessing other people as a means of blessing. And the covenant and the chosen family were to be a comfort and a security for those that were outside of the promised family to the nations around them. Let me remind you of these words back a few weeks ago, back in Genesis chapter 12, where God said to Abraham, I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this nation of Egypt was one of these nations that would be blessed through this promised family. Right now, yeah, you might be thinking, maybe if I work hard that God will bless me. Like an Olympian, they eat right, they train properly, they go to practice, I'll achieve gold. But Moses knew that the Lord was with Joseph. Lord, in all caps, as I've reminded you again, is this covenant name, Yahweh of God, that keeps his promises, that he's faithful to himself and to his people, to his name. And because the Lord is sovereign over everything, that God, again, is the producer of the fruit, even through Joseph. And it's not because of Joseph's effort. And the Lord is with you and with me. Even for non-Christians, God is sovereign over them as well. Around here, you might think, well, why does this field have better hay than that field? And maybe it's from sun, maybe it's from water, maybe it's the soil, or maybe it's just because God is sovereign over that. Why does one family look more well put together? than another family, or their marriage looks more successful than another. In all success, church, God is sovereign and gracious, and God is sovereign even if we don't win the gold medal or have the perfect family. God is sovereign over all. He is present everywhere. He knows all things, and He chooses to produce fruit in some and not others. The Lord was with Joseph, 
and this time fruit came. We see Joseph is a type of Jesus, a type of Christ. Whereas the Lord was with Joseph, the Spirit, if you recall in the Gospels, descended upon Jesus. Even better than Joseph, Jesus lived only a perfect life. He worked perfectly, always doing exactly what the Father wanted with thanksgiving, as Paul says in Colossians. People were healed, deads were raised, the dead were raised, lives were transformed. But these words, the Lord was with, first occur here in the Bible, here in Genesis chapter 39. And the same words occur over and over in Scripture, as we'll see in our time together. And it becomes a big theme for God's people. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and gave him an office of prophet over God's people. The Lord was with David as he became king and ruled over God's people. The Lord was with Joshua as he defeated and brought the Israelites back into the land of Canaan and defeated all the Canaanite kings. As Tyler mentioned in the book of Acts, where we're in, in our uh, Bible reading plan, the Lord was with the early church and they saw success and great number as people believed and turned to the Lord. The Lord works, church. The Lord produces fruit. Our role is to be faithful like Joseph was faithful. There's a philosophy of religion that says that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for those who have faith and positivity. They believe that God will increase their wealth because of a blessing and their acts of generosity and kindness and a positive attitude towards others. The Bible does say that God rewards His people. God rewards our prayers in secret, as Jesus says. God rewards His people who are hated for the sake of Christ. Jesus says that we are rewarded for our generosity, our, hospita our hospitality, when we love our enemies. Rewards and blessings are guaranteed in Scripture, but sometimes, church, they don't happen in this life that we live on earth. Some of us are entrusted with much. Some are entrusted with little. When we do a good job, you might get a raise. You might get a promotion. When some are not rewarded in this life, though, we oftentimes think it's unfair. But remember, we follow God's word. We are to remain faithful and that God produces fruit through that faithfulness. And if bad things happen, as we'll see shortly, has God failed? He has not failed when we follow his will and his word and we trust him. And in the end, there will be rewards, even if we don't see them today. And church, the greatest reward that we receive is God himself, the Lord with us, like he was with Joseph. It's better than any reward we could gain here on this earth. Even those gold medals, they'll belong to somebody else. The ribbon that it has on it will rot away. They will not last. So Joseph's good works don't 
or produce prosperity for him. They don't produce it forever, though. God provided prosperity through Joseph, and now we will see God provide perseverance in his temptation. We'll pick it back up in verse 7. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in his house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept any back anything except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. This passage shows us that Joseph understood his place in the world. He was in a position of privilege, but the wife of Potiphar was excluded from Joseph's pleasure. Other than Isaac and Rebekah, I think this may be the first occurrence in the book of Genesis where a man sticks up for marriage. This is a man who wants to be faithful to God's view of marriage and sexuality. And this is a man, regardless of cultural customs, believes that marriage is between one man and one woman. And so therefore Joseph refuses the advances of this woman. His reason is because she's Joseph's wife, or Potiphar's wife, first and foremost. But the best reason is because it would be a sin against God, as we see in verse 9. Potiphar and his wife don't worship the God of the Bible. So why does she care? It's like the world around us, right, today that we live in. Those who do not believe and follow the God of the Bible justify a lot of different things in their lives, especially sexually. But Joseph knows that God is with him, that God is sovereign, that God knows all, and that God is holy, and a holy God cannot approve sin. And so Joseph understood that he would not just sin against his master or even Potiphar's wife, but he would sin against God. He says, how can I do such a wicked thing? And this is... Uh, what theologians would call quorum Deo, living before the face of God. But Jesus or Joseph lived before the face of God, and all people, we all live in the presence of, under the authority of, and to the honor and glory of God. And some don't realize it in this life. But Joseph knows God is sovereign over all, and so he lives in light of this truth. And this temptress that Proverbs talks about wants to entice him to be tempted to sin with adultery. And we must guard ourselves from temptation to sin against the God of the universe. As we've seen over and over again in Genesis, the best guard we have, church, is God's Word. Remember God's Word. Encourage each other with God's word. Correct each other with God's word. And may we always ask the same question when we are faced with temptation. How then can I do such wickedness and sin against God? Not sure about you, but that's not a phrase that comes through my mind very frequently. But it should. When we're tempted to sin, 
Do we ask, how can we do such a great wicked thing against God? Even if it's something that the world would call insignificant, like a little white lie? Or do we justify it because the pleasure or the temporary satisfaction is worth it or important in our eyes? When we're tempted with sin, church, let's be a people that ask that question. Does this go against God and His Word? Therefore, would it be wicked? If we're a Christian, we should respond with the fact that it is wicked. That we shouldn't do it. Here we see another example of Joseph pointing us to Jesus. Jesus was tempted in the same way that Joseph was, the same way that we are. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. When, when uh, Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days, Jesus continually responded with God's word. Quoting Deuteronomy in Jesus' first temptation, Matthew records these words, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as we've said before in the book of Genesis, in order to respond with God's word, church, we must know God's word. May we be a, may we be a church that knows and responds to temptation with God's word so that we would not do such a wicked thing and sin against the holy God of the universe. It all started last September when we were in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve could have responded with God's word, could have called the serpent's temptations wicked and not given into sin, but they did give in, and so now we live in a world that is affected by sin and dominated by sin today. And it doesn't end there as we know who wins in the end. So Joseph worked hard, he was prosperous. He persevered through temptation. He wasn't guaranteed success, even though the Lord was with him. And we'll see how this progresses further as we pick it back up in verse 11. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, he caught, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that she had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See who has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us? He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until the master came home. And she told him in the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. This took place, church, when nobody else was around. Nobody else could verify the circumstances when she could tempt Joseph to sin and nobody would know. When it would have been easy for him or her to hide, to live in secret, to sin when no one else would have 
took place or known what had took place, Joseph didn't give in to the wickedness of sinning against God. There are ramifications for standing up against sin, as we see in the text. In Joseph's mind, it was better for him to be caught than to be falsely and be falsely accused than to sin. When your boss asks you to fudge some numbers in the Excel sheet, you might get a raise, you might get a bigger bonus, but God knows. When you show up late or sneak out early, God knows. When you clock out, when you weren't even working to get a few minutes of overtime, God knows. When you click on the website when no one is around or you delete the history and no one will know, God knows. When you send a message on social media to an old acquaintance that may lead you to sin down the road, God knows. When you don't tell the truth, when you're asked, when you're the only one who really knows the truth and the facts of the situation, God knows. Friends, it is better to live with integrity before God who knows all than to do such wicked things before the face of God. And all sin is wicked and we should not give into it. We need to know what God's word says. We need to know what sin is. We need to follow God's word once we know what sin is. But even if we don't know that it's sin because we haven't read it in scripture, if it's a sin to God, ignorance is not an excuse a result of the fall. There is no excuse for ignorance, and therefore we should try to stay as far away from sin as possible. The irony here in this section, as we see this account by this woman of the things that took place with Joseph, picks up a number of themes that we've seen throughout our study of Genesis. First, we see this woman took Joseph's garments. As I recalled last week, Isaac was duped by Jacob when he came wearing garments smelling like or feeling like his brother. Jo Jacob was tricked by garments when Laban sent Leah in to consummate the marriage that was supposed to be with Rachel. Tamar used garments to hide the fact that she was Judah's daughter-in-law. Remember how all this started? When Joseph had his dreams, his dad gave him a special garment, a robe, which is the same word that we see in the text this morning. Clothing is often used in Genesis against God's adversaries for desired results in unjust circumstances. And God even uses clothing to cover Adam and Eve, to cover the sin against man's adversary, the serpent. We see as well, the irony continue as Potiphar's wife calls in the men of the house. The first word she says and she uses is see, or some of your translations may say look. Look at the evidence, she suggests. And as we've seen in Genesis, men and women are often blinded by sin, their sin and also the sin of others. And as clothing is used to make it difficult to perceive something, we see that without the grace of God in our lives, we cannot see sin for what it 
truly is. And Potiphar's wife is doing more deceiving in her lying. Another theme. Remember Judah, how he saw his wife or the woman he would want his wife. And he also saw Tamar last week and he called out and wanted them for their pleasure. This week, Potiphar's wife is seen calling out to Joseph for her pleasure. And then she mocks the men that come in who were supposed to be there to protect her all along. And we've seen this before in Genesis, where frequently men don't protect from sin, especially women. Adam protecting Eve, Abraham protecting Sarah, Isaac protecting Rebekah, Abraham with Hagar, Jacob with Dinah, Judah with Tamar, Laban with Leah and Rachel, Lot with his daughters. All these women were sinned against by men who could have protected them. And so may we learn from this church what the Bible wants of us in Genesis, how we should treat each other to protect each other from sin, especially women, and to lead them. Potiphar's wife also picks up on the laughing language in Genesis. How Sarah laughed at the fact that God would give her a son in her old age, doubting God's power, leading to Isaac being named laughter. Last week we saw Judah laughing, thinking he got away with sin that he had committed without any of the accountability. Or as Abimelech, you recall, when Abraham and Sarah were said to be brother and sister, Abimelech observed them laughing, knowing that they weren't brother and sister, also being a synonym or use of sexual pleasure between the two of them. This week, Potiphar's wife said the Hebrew came to laugh at them, both picking up on the irony of laughing about getting away with sin, but also of the intimacy that it should be between a husband and wife. And then ironically, as Joseph came with no sin, the mirror that it was for Judah that shows him that he was unrighteous in his sexual sin, it is Potiphar's wife who sees or is using this mirror or a window that it was her sexual sin and her false accusation that came against God's chosen family. So when your elders started the book of Genesis, it was clear that Genesis addresses many of the issues and the challenges that we face in our world today. And when we realize that the sovereign God of the universe is personal, that he has a relationship with his people, that he loves us, that he created us in his image with dignity, value, and worth, and that we should learn, live a certain way. In the garden in chapter 3, this was all distorted and the world was turned upside down on its head. And we often ask the question, like the serpent, did God really say? And this affects our relationships with God as we sin against him. And it also affects the relationships that we have with other people. And so, as your elders were praying through, going through the book of Genesis, we realized that a proper understanding of the world that God created gives us a proper understanding of many of the challenges that we see today with gender, with sexuality, with racism, with family, all these things that the world wants to destroy. But a proper understanding of Genesis helps us to live in this world 
that's broken by sin, a world that we can love and not hate as the world does. And these themes keep recurring, and it's important. We could keep pointing these themes out week after week because they are important. And we could have spent just a dozen sermons just going through the main themes, but it's more impactful when we see text after text re-emphasize the same things over and over again. And as we're confronted with the same things in our lives today, we can fall back, church, on the sovereign and covenant-keeping God of the Bible. And let that encourage you, please. When these things took place with Joseph, he didn't say a word. He could have said, ah, this, this didn't happen. He didn't have any rights as a slave, but he didn't need to rest on any rights because he knew the truth that God was with him. About seven, eight years ago, I was meeting with uh, a friend and his wife, and the conversation took a turn that I was not expecting. She accused me of some things that I had done. Nothing sexual, but it was how I treated some people in the church. I was not aware of it, but I listened to her, and I didn't think it happened. And having been justified by Christ, with right standing before God, what do I have to lose by going to those people and asking for their forgiveness? And so I went to each of them. I asked them for forgiveness. I said, this is what took place. And all of them told me that I didn't do anything. I didn't need to go back to the original person, though, and say, well, you falsely accused me of these things. But I did not, or I did want to live in a right relationship with those people and with God. And so it was worth being humiliated to just make sure the relationship wasn't broken. And so like Joseph, we will be falsely accused. But will we trust God is with us and will we trust God is for us? With Jesus, our sin is once and paid for on the cross and we have nothing to worry about, church. Joseph was falsely accused, but so was Jesus, as Isaiah says in 53, verse 7. Speaking of Jesus, he was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. As Dave read for us out of 1 Peter this morning, Jesus was the Lamb without spot or blemish, precious in the sight of God, and it's through our belief in that death where He died for us, and there's resurrection from the dead to give us a newness of life. Now we can keep our mouths closed at times, we can trust that God is sovereign, and know that in the end, God will repay all injustice even the justice, injustice that's against us. He punished His Son so that we won't have our sins counted against us. For Christ died for us, for our acts that are wicked against God, for when we don't see properly, for when we're tempted to give into that temptation, when we're falsely accused, or we even falsely accuse, when we don't protect each other, or when we laugh at God. Jesus died for all of that.
everything else that is in there. He died for all of that, that is everything that is contrary to sound doctrine. So Joseph worked hard. He was prosperous. Joseph persevered in temptation even after a false accusation, and we'll see how God continues to provide for Joseph through his hardship as we pick it back up in verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Last week, I picked up on Jesus' words that Tamar was as shrewd as a serpent, but innocent as a dove. Potiphar's wife was neither innocent nor shrewd. She was guilty and she was a deceiver. And the tables have now turned on this promised family. And they were the ones who used to do the deceiving. And now it's being done against them. But Joseph was given grace, even here by Potiphar. It was grace that he was thrown into jail as a slave who had an attempted rape of a master's wife should have been immediately killed himself and put to death. But because he was put in jail, because he wasn't immediately put to death, some commentators suggest that maybe Potiphar didn't even believe his wife's accusation in her story. In both the pit and the desert and the prison that Potiphar sent Joseph, the Lord's presence has delivered Joseph from death. As one commentator said, this imprisonment was a reward for Joseph's uprightness. What a reward, right? So much for having faith and doing, doing good deeds to achieve success. You can see why the gospel of prosperity is false because it does not provo provide us any hope. It's in vain. But this text reminds us again in verse 21 that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was and always will be with Joseph. The Lord wasn't absent in the pit. He wasn't absent in the, the prison. He wasn't absent in the house of Potiphar. And God showed Joseph favor. God allowed Joseph's life to not go as well as Joseph probably would have planned it. But God would allow Joseph's life to bring about the transformation and care of this promised family, as we'll see in the next few weeks. The Lord made him succeed, not because of his handsome appearance. The Lord made him succeed, not because of his wisdom. The Lord made him succeed, not because he is good and hard worker. All of the things that took place in this chapter are because God wanted it to happen. It was in the prison where Joseph was given authority again, and next week we'll see where this leads to as he interprets to prisoners dreams. 
where he has been put in a position to help the promised family continue to be a blessing to the nations. These events would lead to the day when one, the one who had never sinned, Jesus, who did all things to the glory of God, would be accused, mistreated, threatened, laughed at, falsely put to death, who would be forsaken by God, as Jesus said on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where God is with us, he stepped away from Jesus. And it leads to the day when Jesus pays the penalty for our sins on the cross. And Jesus rose from the dead like Joseph will come out of prison. Like Joseph will be established as ruler over Egypt, Jesus now sits at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning over everything. And so church, God knows. God cares. He is good. And sometimes it'll be hard. And as we saw with Judah's words to Tamar last week, that she is more righteous than I, it's clear that Joseph is more righteous than both of them. And we can find people less righteous or more righteous than all of us. It's easy, but when we compare ourselves to the holy God of the universe, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, that we see only Jesus as truly righteous. And it was His suffering to give us peace, that gives us hope, that gives us confidence and a reason to worship. And so as I call the worship team back up, we will worship now. Not because it will provide us blessing, but because we've already received every blessing in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are faithful to yourself and we get to reap the rewards of that. God, we thank you the, of the picture that we see in Joseph that shows us your son who did things perfectly, who worked hard, who was mocked, who was mistreated, who died so that we might have life. And so, God, we thank you for the gift that he is. We thank you for the example that Joseph is. God, would you help us to live a holy life for you, our holy God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.